welcome to episode 55 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school, juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all that's happening in hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Lewandowski, Scott Harrington, and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program, product, or service than advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. Well, boys, we're back live again. The three of us, Dan is on location. Uh, so it's uh, nice to be back live with everyone. Uh, last week, we had a unbelievable show for us, Ohio High School Athletic Association members and anyone who likes or, or follows high school hockey. Uh, what a great show last week. We met with a panel of six high school hockey coaches of various skill levels and uh, districts to talk yet again about the need for the Ohio High School Athletic Association to create additional divisions of competition. I thought uh, after having the conversation and then going back and listening to the conversation, it, 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 and then listening to your sound bites that you put on, I mean, the one that Bogey said, well, it just flat out sucks, you know, kind of made me laugh a little bit. But Very concise. Yeah. He got, he got right to the point. Absolutely. But, you know, listening to multiple people from multiple areas of the state talk, you could still, you could still see that there is kind of a divide amongst even coaches. Okay. I think, I think, I think, you know, Pat O'Rourke said it best when he said nobody disagrees that there should be two, two levels. However, people disagree on how it should be done. And I think that uh, that needs to uh, be addressed sooner than later. Scott, I know that you've, uh, uh, I don't know whether it was Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever, the digest was was blowing up with, with some uh, comments. Got a lot of uh, a lot of feedback. I mean, it was pretty universal. Everybody mirrored, I think, what was said on the panel, which was they got to do something um, and get multiple divisions, and something needs to change. Um, and you know, some people put out alternate, you know, formats that maybe could be used or things like that. But I think we we definitely made the point that everybody at every level, it's not just we have to change it because Ed's and Ignatius don't like it. It doesn't work for anybody. Right. Right. And I think, um, you know, that's pretty universal at this point. You have to admit. What were some of the comments you got? Uh, we, I got some, uh, you know, it should be 20 teams or, you know, eight teams, different. Just ideas. Like that. Yeah. Um, public, private, which they don't do for any sports. So I, I know they're not going to do that. No. Um, did have one former OHSAA employee reach out and explain a little bit of the, the the nuance of the rules, the bylaws and that basically explaining why we can't do it um, and trying to explain what we did not, what we don't understand about the bylaws, which, you know, I agree, I haven't read them, but um, so I reached out to Ronald Sayers and Doug you to have them clarify two points that this person made and Ronald's on vacation. So it'll be the next episode before we, you're able to report back out on that, but he basically said that you can petition to create additional divisions without getting to the 250 number of whatever it is, and that has been done by other sports. We mentioned football, I think wrestling also, and basketball. He said have also done it. 
it's not that you can't do that. It's that the only criteria that can be used for putting teams in different divisions is enrollment. And they don't, they're not going to want to change that because then every sport will want it to be changed for them as well. So uh, the question I have is, could they create another rule that says, if your sport has fewer than, let's say, 100 schools participating, you can use some criteria other than enrollment? It goes along with the idea, the thought that we are different and one because of number. And I completely understand the bylaws and why they're set up that way, but we're different. So you can't govern us the same as you govern everyone else. And I know that's a hard point. That's the other point he made. He said, every sport says that. And, and they probably do. And, and right. it's, and it's, it's fair, but I mean, I, I don't want to say, I, I I'm going to ignorantly say this. Uh, because I, I didn't have time to do the, the research, but I will look, look into it. And I, if, I, if I'm wrong, I'll retract it next week. But with the exception, I, I believe, of lacrosse, hockey is the only one-division sport that plays for a state title. And again, to the listeners, I, it's Tuesday. I'm going to look, and if I'm wrong, I will retract it next week, and I'll have Scott put something on uh, uh, Twitter and all that other stuff. But I believe, I believe, and in, in, in with the addition of maybe, okay, so now we've added rowing, we've added uh, sailing. So I may be wrong, but I know at one point that was the, that was the case. So essentially, we are a bit different. But I want to go back to, to why are some highways 75 miles an hour and some roads are 55 and some roads are 65? At one point, it was all one law. I mean, there's a reason why the constitution is a moving document. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it was Pat O'Rourke that brought up the fact that the athletic directors probably have a better understanding of the bigger picture than the hockey coaches do. So we will, uh, you know, convene a panel of athletic directors from hockey schools, uh, later this summer. Right. And, uh, they might be able to shed a different perspective on it. Well, it was a great conversation. It was a great show. I was really excited to get uh, uh, a lot of different uh, voices in there. So that was that was done well. Um, did you what? Did you hear anything like responses from our listeners? I'm anxious to hear that. Yeah, it was it was mostly uh, you know agreeing that yes, it's overdue. Something needs to be done. I mean, that's pretty much right. You know, universal. And then some other suggestions of you know having a play in game or you know, things like that. But uh, I think the if you haven't gone and read it, uh, please go on Ohio Hockey Digest and uh, look at the story that I posted right after we uh, taped the episode. I have some comments from the coaches that were on the panel in there um, laying out the uh, concept of a 16-team Division One tournament, basically using the same format that the NCAA does, and then everybody else would compete in the regular uh, district tournaments as they currently exist. Jay, anything you want to add to that? No? No. No, I, I think that Scott's voice is lulling me to sleep because <laughs> it sounds so relaxed and peaceful. But, uh, no, it was excellent to have a bunch of different levels, coaches from a bunch of different levels, and everyone agreeing that something needs to change, something needs to happen. And the other interesting part was the, the different variations of what should happen. I mean, there's – for as much as, as the former uh, uh, OHSA director – was on board with this, we're still a long ways away from making this happen. Right. I mean, it needs to be zeroed in and, and dialed in correctly and then go to the athletic directors and explain it to them 
in how we see it or how the coaches see it and then go forth to the OHSA. So it's still, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but I mean, it was cool to hear that there needs to ha have something happen. Right. The other, uh -huh. the other point that my uh, anonymous uh, former OHSA uh, employee made was while there are 80 schools that have hockey, any changes need to be approved by a vote of the entire membership, 800 plus. Yeah, no, it's not just the hockey group. Right. Right. I, that I did know. Yeah. That so I did know. That might be a challenge as well. Right. Right. But let me ask that question. Why? <clears throat> well, because it might affect, like, if you have a, a, well, it may not affect. No, I mean, I guess there's, there's schools. Well, that's, that, I don't know. This doesn't make sense because, because there's schools like the school you and I used to work at, Jay. Yeah. Was a division two and three football and basketball school. But yet we played Division One hockey. So, so I'm I'm talking about the the non hockey schools. What I mean, they, what is it? How is it going to trickle down? Because they've used that before. It will trickle down to all the other schools. Okay, how? Like what? I I, I just want to understand that. I'm not yeah, trying I, to argue it. I just yeah, I don't understand know. It. Like how would how would us going to two or three divisions uh, affect a Buckeye high school that doesn't have hockey? Right. It, it wouldn't. But. When you're, uh, it's it that's getting into the inside baseball and the politics and yeah, that's what the we'll ask the athletic directors about this. Okay, because this person didn't seem to think that the other seven hundred something schools would say, well, why should I vote for this? What are you going to do for me? Right, kind of thing. So right. Huh. Well, well, we're going to kind of switch it over and we're going to uh, leave the high school game. And uh, this week's going to be great. We're going to have get a chance to talk to the athletic senior writer Aaron Portsline who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. We talked to him earlier in the uh, podcast, I don't know, week 10, maybe week 11. Earlier than that, he was like in the first five, I think. Right. So, so then we have a chance to bring him back on. And there is a hell of a lot to talk about with the Blue Jackets going on right now. So we look forward to talking to him. But before we do that, let's see what's going on with the boys here. Danny, how you been? Uh, we are good. Um, just busy at work. I was telling uh, Coach Lev today, earlier um we just finished wrapping up what we would hope would be collecting three thousand chromebooks we only got about two thousand of them um and is that a success that is a great success for us so i think we said the over under was 1900 so i think you beat it actually yes yeah, so we're we're good with that um but for anybody who's listening who has young kids i would uh highly recommend you teach them at a young age of how to properly care for electronics, shoving pencils um, underneath keyboards, stepping on a screen, you know, or just throwing the computer because you get aggravated because it froze on you are not, uh, is that, is you know, not good upon? things to do. So that, 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 that is frowned upon. That is frowned upon. Um, and, and, in case you know a kid does take a pair of scissors and cut through a strap on a case that is holding said Chromebook, um, just remember it is always the IT's fault that that happened. <laughs> not not yours or the kid, but the IT department because they didn't buy a sturdy enough case that the kid could not cut through. So, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well that's good advice, man. Yeah, good advice. How many took the steps to uh, wipe clean? memory of all of the uh websites they had been visiting on the school um so that's a trick question so it's a chromebook so technically nothing really gets stored on it ah. um 
but they have to log into their Google account. So they could think they're deleting their history, but I just type in one, you know, one little quick search on the admin console and I could pull everything up. Good to know. Yeah, really good to know. Lev's over here taking notes. I don't know why, but. Danny, can you repeat the last three things you said? <laughs> just do not look up anything on a work computer that you don't want found. Thank God I don't have a work computer. There you go. There you go. Lev, what's going on with you, buddy? Oh, nothing much. You know, just uh, living, loving, learning. No, uh, let's see. We had our last uh, uh, flag football game. It went off with no real issues. We had about 60 coaches there. It was fantastic. You thought it was a recruiting event, um, but everybody coaches their own kid. And so it was just complete chaos and fantastic to watch these kids. Actually, I probably saw one of the best tackles I've ever seen in my life. In a flag football game. Yeah, in a flag football game. And they're six. And it was phenomenal. I mean, CTE, welcome to the welcome to the chat. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> At six. Did he decleat him? Oh, oh, flat out. And then another guy uh, high-stepped over two kids that fell. And as he was running, I was standing down in the one end zone. And as he was running toward me, I, I'm not lying. I heard, yeah, baby, give me my money. <laughs> At six. So apparently Deion Sanders' kid lives in uh, my town. Because he high stepped and yelled, "Yeah, baby, give me my money!" Oh my gosh! Like it's fantastic. So uh, this week we go to T ball. That ought to be a treat. Uh, both my kids are playing. My my one daughter. Uh, this will be just an absolute disaster. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> hilarious. I mean, you know, we talked about daisy picking and all that. Uh, the social calendar is full. Every Friday will be T ball. Okay. So my daughter's social calendar is going to be great. Uh, she's not going to like what she has on because just brutal. It's <laughs> It's going to be a disaster. And my son, he actually has a pretty decent arm for being six. And so it's just a matter of time for somebody gets beamed right in the forehead with something or in the chest or a coach not looking and he gets drilled. But what's the chance you think uh, one of your two kids will hit the ball off the tee and run with the bat? My daughter will probably stand there and look and say, what do I do now? And run, then, run up the third baseline. Oh, that's a guarantee. My, my son <laughs> already did that. One. My son already did that in the backyard one day. Uh, he just took off for third. Yeah. Like, what did you do? I ran here. Why? Because well, I wanted to run here. Okay. Well, that's not how it works. Why not? It's baseball. Can't, can't <laughs> change baseball. It's like changing the OHSA. Hey, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I, told you, I don't know if I told you the story. My, my daughter, the first time she ever ran track, she ran in the like four by, like what, a four by 100 or whatever the heck it was. Right. And uh, so she's the, she starts off the, the heat and, or the race. And she's got the baton and she hands it off to the next person and runs with the next person. <laughs> and so they, they thought that's what they had to do. So then now there's the four. two of them, no, there's two of them. And the second one hands off to the third one. And there's now three of them in the lane running. It was the greatest thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. And all the other kids are like, what are they doing? And they're, they're just, I mean, they were dragging. They, off the, they were like racing each other, trying to race everyone else. They're just pushing each yeah, other. It was, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, they were pacing themselves. Right. Nice. Yeah. Can you tell the one where uh, where uh, you got to the track meet? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love this one. So we get to the track meet, and if anyone knows these track meets, you're, you're, they've changed it now, thank God. But you're there all day, like it's an all day event. And she did the first event and the last event. And this was when she was real younger, and she had um, like she just would like I don't know. Everything else seemed to get her attention, but but. It, but what she should have been really doing, right? Oh, look at the butterfly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at the butterfly, right? <laughs> so she's, 
She's getting ready to race. Now, this is the last race of the day. We've been here all day. And the guy's like, on your mark, get ready. And all of a sudden, these two girls, high school girls, start talking. And so she just looks over and is listening to him. And the freaking gun goes off. And she's just standing there listening to him. I'm at the fence. I'm like, hey. She looks at me and go, you might want to go. They're already around the bend. I'm like, you, you might want to go. So then she, she left track and... And then my young, my youngest one decided she wanted to run track this year. And I was like, oh my gosh, no way. So we went to uh, the first track meet. And of course it was two and a half hour uh, weather delay. I went, my, my kid did uh, track one, one year and I was, I worked downtown. He had a thing in Shaker, but I had a meeting I had to go to, I don't know, Independence, something like that. So I drove from downtown Cleveland to Independence to Shaker, got there. He did the hundred meters you know ran from here to over there yeah that was it i was <laughs> like I'd, i was like are you doing any other events now that was it yeah well see you at home i guess <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah okay unbelievable oh, yeah. but i'll have to on the t-ball thing i gotta show you these this video uh my son the daisy picker was he would scuff his feet so to make dust clouds <laughs> and he wouldn't stop doing it and there's this video of him going up the first baseline. You can see him doing it. But he would stand in the field and do it. And they would be rerouting traffic from Hopkins around the dust cloud over the, <laughs> over the Little League field in Lakewood. It was ridiculous. Well, and, and I would just and, be and, screaming. My wife would be, don't scream at him. I'm like, I don't care if he hits, gets a hit or anything like that. It's just like, stop do what the, you're supposed to be doing. Stop or Stop making stop. the dust clouds. But yeah. in, in fairness, he's, he's walking up the first baseline, scuffing his feet. So, you know, that chalk dust is just looking awesome. Right. Right. Scott, what's up with you? You were like a week away from your trip. I'm 48 hours away. 48 hours. You shared with us that uh, you had a possible injury last week. Oh, a possible injury. I had an injury. It wow. wasn't broken, though. Wow. I got an x-ray. Oh, you did? Yeah. Is it better? Just to, it's not better. It still hurts. But it's uh, an arthritic change, she said, in the joint of my big toe. Oh, boy. So I'm just taking tons of ibuprofen to knock down the inflammation. I think O'Toole's has something for that. They do. That's why I was over there before we came on the air. And I'm also, uh, my wife, the nurse, hooked me up with somebody in Lakewood is going to give me a shot tomorrow, like a steroid or something. I don't know what it is. Oh, that's going to hurt. Taking the, taking the needle. Look at yeah. him, right out of the rip. Taking the needle for the, for the playoffs. I love it. Yeah. So. <laughs> Getting the needle before he goes. So you leave, today's Tuesday, you leave Thursday? I leave, uh, it's actually early in the morning, Friday. We have to, our flight leaves Hopkins at 545. A.M. Okay. So my wife's like, how are you getting to the airport? <laughs> like, right. Oh, I kind of thought. It's like, no, well, I, no I, how are you getting to the airport? She, she listened to you tell the story that you uh, lost uh, more than one third of what you actually told her. So. <laughs> she never, she never, she's never going to hear that. But, oh, and I also thought of, I also thought of another uh, uh, casino story. I'll tell you after we're done. Okay. Hey, I wanted to, I want to give Danny uh, props on uh, his choice of uh, music to end the show last week. Little Tom Jones. That was very nice, Danny. Uh, I can't take credit for that one. Um, management had a request, so uh, yeah, I figured we got to keep we got to keep him happy, so you know we can keep doing this. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, I am uh, uh, again. It was another good week, you know. And uh, again, I really enjoyed listening to that podcast from last week. I listened to it uh, when I was uh, on the treadmill the other day, and just man, some great, really good views and and. Gosh, just really fun uh, episode. So hopefully, and not hopefully, we will keep uh, moving forward with that. Uh, let's see what's in the news. 
of the Ohio Hockey Digest. The Columbus Blue Jackets named John Tortorella's replacement last week, announcing that the promotion of longtime assistant coach Brad Larson to the head coaching position. Larson has been in the organization for 11 seasons, including seven as an assistant in Columbus, the last five under Tortorella. As Aaron Portsline pointed out in The Athletic, Larson was in charge of a Columbus power play that ranked 30th out of 31 teams in that span. Columbus also interviewed Gerard Gallant, Rick Tockett, and David Quinn. Parma's Alex Nedeljkovic was announced as one of the three finalists for the Calder Trophy given annually to the NHL's Rookie of the Year. Nedeljkovic is up against forwards Kirill Kaprizov of Minnesota and Jason Robertson of Dallas. After guiding the AHL's Charlotte Checkers to the 2019 Calder Cup Championship, Ned saw significant action in the NHL this season with the Carolina Hurricanes, posting a 15-5-3 record with a 1.90 goals against average and a .920 save percentage. He then started nine of the team's 11 games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He's one of the three finalists for the NHL's 2020-2021 Rookie of the Year. Coincidentally, he will be our guest next week on the On Air Podcast. Two weeks ago, Robert Morris University disbanded the men's and women's hockey teams. The women's team was coming off a conference tournament championship in College Hockey America. Now, three members of that team, Reagan Kirk, Lexi Templeman, and Emily Curlett, have all signed national letters of intent to join the Ohio State Buckeyes. Templeman was the Colonial's leading scorer last season and earned all CHA honors. She has collected 127 points in 130 career NCAA games. Reagan Kirk is a goaltender that has made 38 starts over the last two seasons, backstopping Robert Morris to the CHA title and an appearance in the NCAA tournament last season with a 1.91 goals against and 939 save percentage. Kirk also won gold with Team Canada at the 2019 U18 World Championships, starting all four games and earning tournament MVP honors. She was invited to the 2019 Team Canada Summer Showcase Camp and had the distinction of being the youngest player to get that honor. Michigander Emily Curlett led the nation in power play goals with 13 in 2019-20. She is also a first-team All-CHA honoree and is the Colonials' all-time leader in goals scored by a defenseman with 43. A few weeks back, we spoke with Clevender and Ontario Hockey League player Andrew Parrott, one of the organizers of the PBHH Showcase in Erie, Pennsylvania. The event was staged to give prospects an opportunity to perform in front of scouts since the entire OHL season was canceled. The showcase wrapped up on Sunday, and Parrott said it went better than expected. All right, gentlemen, we are into the semifinal round in the National Hockey League. Uh, first game, actually, they're getting ready to play uh, game two as we tape. However, the Islanders shut it down and took game one from Tampa Bay. Thoughts on that series as a whole and maybe even game one? I'm at a bit of a disadvantage because I didn't see game one. But I know that uh, they were talking about um, how much they limited Tampa Bay's. Uh, they didn't get any off, any rush opportunities, any scoring opportunities off no. the rush the whole game. And although I didn't see that game one of that series, having seen the last couple games of the series they played against Boston, it, that's what they did to them too. They Bruins couldn't move without somebody being right on them, laying the body on them. Can Jay? Did you watch the game? A little bit of it. Yeah. I, and maybe you guys read some things on it. I don't know. But I can't remember if it was goal one or two for the Islanders. Uh, Stamkos was on the ice, uh, had a turnover, and then Stamkos didn't see the ice for about the next six minutes. And he saw the ice for a power play and then didn't see the ice. 
like another four minutes. Now, I, I don't know what that was about. Like, I don't know if Coop had enough of it or what, but um, I found it. He played then after that in the, in the periods following that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you shot, you know, arguably one of the best players on your team down for damn near 10 minutes because of a turnover that went in the back of the net. I, that just seemed a little – and it, there could be something totally different because I haven't read anything about it, but I did watch the game, and uh, I noticed it, that he wasn't playing, and even the announcer said something after his second – like four minute uh, non shift. So, how much of that was Coop uh, basically making a statement to the rest of them? I was going to say, well, game, but it was game. one, it was one nothing though. I know based on what I read, he was not thrilled with how they showed up ready to play that day right. whatsoever. Yeah. Who knows? I'm sure if you're Sean Cooper, you're talking about how Islanders shut down Boston and he was probably very specific about how they had to play against that team. Right to not let that kind of thing happen. Yeah. And he did it. It's game one. Maybe if it's game four and they're down two games to one, he doesn't to keep them on the bench that often. Right. But making a point. Yeah. All right. Las Vegas, Las Vegas comes out of the gate, putting uh, Les Canadiens in a blender to a four to one tilt. Uh, Sully, any chance that you'll, you'll be able to get into a game in Las Vegas during your 40 days and 40 nights in Sin City? <laughs> it's going to feel like about 140 days and 40 nights. Um, I don't know, man. I'm If they're still playing when I'm down there, I'm, you know me. I'll, I'll try my hardest to get in. Um, I did see a picture, though, of uh, – you guys see this online yesterday? They were, it was 108 degrees outside, and the pools were just packed with people, and they had it on their big screens watching. Oh, awesome. um, I can handle that. You know, I can do that as well. Uh, but – uh, you're Jay, you, you, we talked about this earlier at the rink today. You're absolutely right. Uh, Vegas put Montreal in a blender. They had no clue what was happening in that second and third period. Well, like we talked about when you can put one of the best goalies in the world and, and put him out of position. I mean, we, we talked about that goal that Alec Martinez scored oh. and was it Shea, uh, Shea Theodore? Yeah. Is it Shea? Theodore uh, uh, gave the old uh, fake slap shot. Slid it over to Martinez to a backdoor goal. I mean, they played a different level. They they played a different speed. They just, you know, them in Colorado just play at such a different pace that everyone else is like, how to survive. Well, Montreal's kind of been following the Islanders' recipe, you know, with the big defense and shutting them down and all that. So maybe we'll see if they can uh, get it back on the rails in game two. Right. There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program, product, or service than advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. Let's get on air with senior writer for The Athletic, Aaron Portsline. Our next guest is a senior writer for The Athletic covering the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's been a sports writer for more than 30 years, winning national and state awards as a reporter at the Columbus Dispatch. In addition, he has been a frequent contributor to the NHL Network and the Hockey News. Please welcome on air, Aaron Portsline. Welcome, Aaron. Welcome back. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So last time we talked, it was, man, it was probably about 12 months, maybe three months into uh, the COVID pandemic. And we kind of talked about how your role was going to be a little bit different this year uh, with the Blue Jackets uh, compared to that in the past. 
So what was it like covering the beat uh, with the late short regular season schedule, limited fans? Uh, I think you, you, you remind me, but you weren't able to travel with them. Correct. Uh, Correct. So what was that? What was it like uh, to do your job? Well, it was, it was, um, it was very unique. It felt in some ways, some aspects of it felt like a continuation of the playoff bubble the year before. Um, I mean, the strangest thing, and, and even some players have remarked, is we've not been in the room. We've not looked these guys in the eye. We've not shaken hands with some of these guys. Some of these guys that have come and gone, I mean, Mikhail Gregorenko was a, was a blue jacket. Stories were written. Not once did I shake his hand or, or look him in the eye, which is bizarre. Uh, maybe Delzado falls into that same camp. It's just, it's a different thing. And I, I hope it wasn't too noticeable on the outside. It's different interviewing somebody in a pool setting on video, as opposed to just a, a face-to-face conversation. Um, for one, you're, you get a couple questions rather than, you know, a 25 minute chat. It's just all of it's different. So feature stories, I think suffered. If you really wanted to paint a, a picture on a guy, it was, it was hard to sit and spend time with people. Cause I mean, it just wasn't available. The little tidbits, the little anecdotes, the, you know, the sweeteners that, that make stories or, or notebooks or, um, just inform your writing. Those, those all went away because you're not having uh, the small sort of um, less serious chats with people. Everything's a very formal setting. And you can see some guys just weren't comfortable. I mean, I, I, Oliver Bjorkstrand had a really hard time with it. Really hard time uh, doing video interviews. Just didn't like it. And there's more than a few guys, I think, that fall under that, that uh umbrella. So at the same time, I don't want to bitch and moan because there's a lot of people who lost their jobs. There's a lot of people, hell, who lost their lives. There's a lot of people whose jobs have been um, changed forever. Their lives have been changed forever. And and so you, we got off pretty easy, but yeah, it was, it was a weird season. Just weird without the fans. I mean, it just sitting in that empty barn watching games, I mean, it was, it was bizarre. And then the fans started to come back and it was better. Hell, it was a bizarre year in many, many ways on ice, off ice. Um, as much as I'd love to forget that year and, and never think of it again, I, I don't think that'll be possible. Aaron, do you think that the line of questioning maybe differed also from the reporters because they were not face to face with the subjects they were interviewing? I mean, you know, you, I've, I've seen you on, on Twitter and, and some people say some lack of better terminology, moronic things that you go back at them a little bit in, in like in likeness, I guess, maybe some uh, certain reporters maybe asked some questions that, that they took a little more liberties. I mean, I watched a lot of, a lot of post game press conferences where there were questions asked that the players just had this dumbfounded stunned look on their face. Like, why the hell are you yeah. asking me that? Yeah. You know, I think the camera does different things to people. Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to see examples. Maybe there are situations where um, a a more difficult question was easier to ask because there's a, you know, there's, there's that less awkwardness of looking someone right in the face and asking him that question. 
I, I hope it didn't affect me that way. Um, but yeah, it, it felt so much of it felt performative, right? Yeah. Um, and I, and there's a lot of days in the dressing room where it's a chit chat and it's clear if you're talking on the record or off the record, but it's far less formal, right? It's just a, it's a conversation. And I have said this before, like, you're not going to sit there in a zoom setting and ask somebody, you know, you reference such and such, were you in seventh grade then or ninth grade? You're not going to do that in a zoom, right? The details, um, of a situation you're not going to sit there and ask 11 questions so you get a couple questions you get out of the way and then they bring in the next guy so it's just kind of a it almost feels sometimes like you're provided the information and told to write a story off the information rather than really digging in and cultivating it yourself so but i don't know how it affected some guys maybe some guys were willing to ask tougher some people were willing to ask tougher questions than normal or maybe went the other way and it was the game stories too. Like on a game day, they were literally in the locker room, and you were like in the next room, right? On a on your computer, or how did? Oh that yeah, work? yeah. I mean, we were. So, do you guys know where the? It's on the main concourse. I forget the name of it. It's changed a few times. The bar that overlooks the practice rink. Yeah, I know. I know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So we were in there. Um, no matter game, no matter if they skated on the big ice, or on the practice rink. And we, we had an entrance, we walked in and went right there. And then on game days, there was an entrance, we went and went straight to the top. Um, it had a very dystopian end world uh, feel to it at times, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was weird. Do you feel like now things may be getting back to what we used to know as normal or a normal routine uh, uh, at all? I feel like it's coming. I, I, my understanding is part of the PHWA is that that it's probably going to be this way through these playoffs. Uh, maybe they do open air outside media day type things before the cup final, but I think it's going to be this way through the end. One thing I'll tell you, and this may surprise some people, uh, as I heard from three players, maybe there were more, but three for sure, who said, you know what? It was weird not having you guys in the room. It was weird not being able to, to look you in the eye as you asked questions. Or um, and like it bothered the players too, because as much as they don't like it sometimes, it's part of their rhythm too. Yeah. And they play a game. I mean, it's pretty cool that so many people care about the game that they play. And it just felt so detached this year. So you go to the mall, you come home from the mall, you see no one, you talk to no one. And I think it bothered and affected them too. I'm curious to see how many teams are lo- are looking at the results they had this year, some of the performances they had this year, and just kind of putting an asterisk next to it and saying, you know what, COVID weirdness, uh, wh- how much do you read into this? How real is this, good or bad? Because um, I do think it affected some people more than others. Well, you look at when Canada had no fans and, you know, the nine o'clock game was in Vegas or let's yeah. say Carolina, the 7 p.m. was in Carolina. And then the, the Edmonton game, there's nobody there. It's yep. just there had to be a different feeling. Oh. And those guys in Canada had to be the North Division had to be looking, watching that game going, wow, that's what it's like again. Huh? Yeah, let's we need to get back to that. 
Yeah. Can you imagine how loud that was last night for Montreal players going onto the ice in Vegas? Not for the first time, yeah. Because no. they hadn't heard it to go from zero to that. Like, wow. Yeah. Um, that's pretty intense. It, it was so it was so nice, even when they got to 25% nationwide arena, just to hear, just to hear the you know, the passion. Just to, even someone screamed shoot on the power play. And I was like, yes, it's just so good to have you back again. <laughs> um, you know, all, all that stuff. Because I, one thing I do think has been learned through all of this, and it's maybe it's a shame it needed to be learned or at least reiterated is that the fans, I've always said they're the reason there is a job that I do. There's a reason that the players have the jobs that they have and make what they make. But th- none of this is the same without that element in it. It's it's huge. It's everything. So 2020-2021 was a rough one for the fans of Columbus, the Blue Jackets. Indeed. What do you feel were some of the uh, highlights, however? Wow. Um, you know what? I th- the shortest it, segment it, in the interview. I was going to say, yeah. Um, this is going to be a brief. No. I mean, I thought, uh, I remember thinking when they had, was it four games in a row against Carolina? Yeah. And they started maybe with three, three out of four, three points out of four. And they kind of were teetering back in it. And you're thinking, okay, here they go again, because this team has done this before. Maybe here comes the, the move. And then it just, just bottomed out. I, I thought there were some, very few, but they, I thought, honestly, I think the one guy that stood out to me performance-wise, uh, a couple guys, I thought Elvis Merzlikens, especially the last sort of 20 games, 25 games, I thought he had a really good season when you hold it up to the way that this team played as, as a whole. He was a really good goaltender because um, I think this was a really hard team to play goal for. And maybe in fairness, Corpusalo was in early, played a lot of games early when this team, I mean, guys, it, it, they looked like they looked like the long ago Blue Jackets in terms of not being able to get out of the zone. That was that was crazy. And they were a really hard team to play for then. But I thought Elvis really Elvis competed his ass off. The other thing I'll say too is one guy who was a real testament to me especially now when you consider his situation personally too, that Seth Jones was really impressive the final few weeks of the season, how hard he competed, how he sort of kept the play wasn't great, but the standard, uh, the demand was there by him. I thought his, his play, his energy and effort level was, were exceptional, uh, which is again, saying something. What was the, he may have played his last game as a blue jacket. What was the energy like when uh, Roslovic got into the lineup? Yeah, well, you know, that was – he got in before Line A, so you could watch you could watch him for a couple games before Line A drew it. I think offensively he was a real eye-opener for a lot of people. And that goal he scored against Carolina or Nashville? Uh, you know the one I'm talking about where he split two guys? I think it was against Carolina. It was against Carolina. Okay. Uh, kicked it to himself, but between his legs, unbelievable goal. I think offensively that kid has, has impressed them maybe more than they expected. 
there's a lot of work to do, you know, away from the puck, but, but that, that aspect of his game was pretty bright. How important was, uh, actually, let me rephrase that. I don't even want to ask how important. What sure. was your take on the line A signing or the, uh, the line A and Dubois trade? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I wrote this at the time. I think for a general manager who was in duress, as Yarmo Kekalina was in that situation, where it was pretty clear that he had to trade, had to trade the player. I mean, this could not be allowed to fester much longer. I think when you consider that, I think he did pretty well. Now, I'm just talking value of player versus value of player. Right. In versus out. I'm a little worried about how line A played. And I'm I'm a little worried about their ability to find someone who can play with him. And you keep hearing that if the right offer's made that he's he could be on the move again this summer. Right. I wouldn't rule that out at all. But just to answer your question, you know, when the whole world knows you're you have to trade Pierre Luc Dubois that's a pretty good return because I think even if they do move line a now, it's going to be a pretty good return coming back for him as well. But what a, what a situation this, this has turned into though. I always smokes. <laughs> so now turning the page and starting to look towards next season. Yeah. This is going to be a really fun team to cover this summer because there are so many things happening. The first, uh, First uh, announcement has already been made with the uh, promotion of Brad Larson from assistant coach to the head coach to take over for Tortorella. Um, there hasn't been a great reaction from the fan base. That doesn't seem like the people are too excited about this one. Um, but he's been around for a long time, so you've probably gotten to know him pretty well. So, what's your take on the uh, on the coaching hire? Well, I, I, it's uh, it's fair to say there hasn't been a great reaction. I'll be honest with you. I, I think, I think the, the club has done him a bit of a disservice uh, just in the way that this was rolled out. I think, and I, I think Yarmo Kekalainen is a, is a big part of that. Um, I think it's about managing expectations and, and this is kind of an awkward answer because what are you saying about Brad Larson with this? But when you tell the fan base coming out of last season, that things are going to be better next year, um, what's the word? Not uh, it's not a rebuild; it's a reload. Boom! Quick turnaround, competitive next year. I think you you get people uh, fired up for let's go, let's do this, let's let's roll, let's get that difference making playoff type coach in here. Gerard Gallant, maybe it's Tockett. What are we doing? Let's go get a guy. When the reality is and this is before they hired Brad Larson the reality this this team is going to be this team's in a transition and it it is by all accounts rebuilding here it comes was that so, or Seth Jones just came out and said what he did or I think Seth Jones happening anyways I think that pushes it over the over the top or makes their decision easier for sure it's not an easy decision but it gives them clarity is probably the better way to say it. Like you could look at this situation right now and, and surmise that the hockey gods are saying rebuild. Like the, we're, we're, it all lines up for you to do this, do this. 
And I keep hearing people say, oh, they've been rebuilding for 20 years. It just isn't true. They've lost a lot. Yes, they've had losing seasons. They've looked like a rebuilding team, but they actually haven't gone through the rebuilding process like many teams have. They finished 23rd, right? Not 30th, not 29th. Um, and it's cost them. It's cost them dearly. So I think Brad Larson, I think if you're a team in this situation, and let me just say this before it sounds like I'm, I'm ripping on Brad Larson because I'm not. I think Brad Larson can be a hell of a coach. I really do. And I think he has, I think he has the same or similar standards as John Tortorella, but with a softer touch that younger players are more likely to respond to. I think it's going to be a lighter mood. And, and I, I'm a defender of John Tortorella. I think the reports of, of players can't, not being able to stand him are largely inaccurate. I know that they're not true. Um, I think Brad Larson can be a hell of a coach. I think when you consider what they're going through, we're going to be going through here these next couple of years, I think a first-year coach makes a ton of sense right now, especially a guy that you know and a guy that, that you've seen – be a head coach in your own a in your own American League situation. I think he makes a ton of sense for this situation. I think the confusing part and the reason Brad Larson maybe endure has endured and continues to so much scorn is because the situation hasn't been made abundantly clear to people. It's been billed as competitive team going right at it, and then you hire a coach that is a teaching coach, a kind of a grow with us coach, if you will. And the two just didn't jive. So I, I you know, I, I'm not going to ever tell fans how to feel or how to cheer. I mean, I, I'll, uh, if someone says something completely ludicrous on Twitter and it's not an opinion thing, it's a, it's a yes or no effect. I may point that out, but fans are free to feel as they wish. I just think there, there would have been a different response among the crowd if they, if they had been fully prepared, if it had been completely articulated what's likely going to happen here. I can, I can kind of understand uh, as you pointed out and as you wrote why the fans would be conf confused and concerned. Uh, he was in charge of the power play that ranked 30th out of 31 teams. Yep. And now they're being, they're asking him to run the entire team. Yeah. Well, so let me build it. Let me set this up for you. Cause I think this is really interesting. The last coach, the last of the current NHL coaches, the last one that was promoted from assistant to head coach in an offseason. So in other words, not a firing midseason and the assistant comes up. But when they have time to think about it and go through the process, the last of the current NHL coaches to go from assistant to head coach was, was there, was an assistant for seven years. And during, which is the same length of time that Larson has been at Columbus. And during those seven years, he was in charge of his team's power play too. And during those seven years, the power play ranked 30th out of 31 in those seven years combined. And that coach was Rod Brindamore, who now everybody wants to be their team's head coach. My point is not that Brad Larson is the next Rod Brindamore though he may be. The point is that the power play, and for that matter, the penalty kill for the other side of the bench, 
is the only public measuring stick we have of an assistant coach. But it's not the only measuring stick of an assistant coach. In fact, it may be a faulty one. If any of you know teachers, it's almost like judging the teacher by the GPA of the room. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't tell you what kind of students you started with. It doesn't tell you how, mo how, how much you motivate the students to learn. It, it just tells you where the end point is. Like you may have done an incredible job to get them to a 2.3 and they're four point students with another teacher. It, it's just hard to, to read all of that in, into that. I get if Brad, it. If the power play has been brutal. If Brad, if Brad, Unwatchable. If Brad's going to be like uh, Rod the Bod, he better get in the gym. Well, I would not mess with 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 Larson. Um, dude is is stacked a bit. Is he? Yeah, I yeah. He's he's uh. I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> Long time third and fourth liner pro hockey. So I think he's been punched in the head a few times too. So I'm not going there. How about uh, going on our with our list of off season storylines here? Will Nick Felino be back? Uh, good question. Um, I think it's less likely now than it was when he was traded to Toronto. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I think another team that was interested in him at the trade deadline that was not willing to give up first is the Minnesota Wild. And, and a chance to play with his brother, I think, would be really, really alluring for him. But I think something else happened to Nick Foligno too. He may be the only player in history to go to the Toronto Maple Leafs and find it easier to relax. <laughs> it's usually a very high test situation. I am not sure that he fully comprehend, comp comprehended what he was under here in Columbus as the captain, as the interpreter of Tortorella, as the guy that faced the music after every loss, as the guy that had to be this and that, that and this. I think he got traded to Toronto and took an enormous, enormous deep sigh and realized how much he, of a burden he'd been carrying. I don't rule it out, a return to Columbus, but I, I think two things, there are two things in this world that may motivate Nick Felino more than being able to play in the city that he loves, Columbus. And that's family. His brother plays in Minnesota. And that's be a chance to win the Stanley Cup. And I don't think that's realistic here for the next couple of years. Having said that, I suspect Nick Foligno will, will retire a Blue Jacket or retire to Columbus when his playing days are done. Because I, I think he feels that much of a kinship with the city. So with Seth Jones saying he will not resign, do you see Zach Wierenski uh, getting an extension this summer? Or do you think he'll try to wait and see what the team's going to look like before making that decision or making yeah. a request or whatever? Yeah. Well, I, you know what, I, nothing against, nothing against Zach, but, but with all of the other stuff they've got going, the fact that he's got another year before he's RFA, I think that gets backburnered until maybe the season starts or uh, they can breathe a bit. Um, they got a big summer and um, you know what, if, if, if he, if he decides he wants to move on, I don't think they're going to drag that out. Um, but I, I think this, these things may be staggered a bit too. I think you're going to see other players that if, if it becomes clearer to them where this is going for the next couple of years may decide that they would like a change of scenery too, not just, not just Wierenski. So, or he um, could demand more money, right? 
if Seth Jones leaves, isn't Wierenski worth more? Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, absolutely. The tricky thing is, how old is Wierenski? 24? 23, 24? Those are the kind of guys you tend to keep around for a rebuild. Like, you're not usually cashing in the 24-year-old guys. So, I, I mean, I you know, he may – they may ask him what his thoughts are. Um, you know, they need to – he just changed his agent a, a couple of months ago, which is noteworthy. He's no longer with Pat Brisson, Um, And he may be fixing for, uh, for an RFA fight, which – I think if you're a Columbus Blue Jacket and you're a restricted free agent, you best prepare because they, they've had some Donnie Brooks. Right. Well, with you said an exciting summer and a busy summer, also we have the expansion draft coming as well. Um, You can only protect one goaltender. Um, Is there maybe a trade coming up? Well, they're actually in really good shape for that because Elvis is Elvis is exempt. So he does not require protection. You can protect Corpusalo. You need one to expose, and that's Kivleniex. So their goaltender situation is fine. Therefore, unless the, a trade they make does nothing to change that dynamic, um, I think you. I think that a goaltender trade probably happens after the expansion draft. Um, I think that's a wise a wise bet. One thing that's interesting about their, if I may, one thing that's interesting about their expansion situation, they're obviously in much better shape now than they were uh, a few years ago when Vegas came in. Um, and it's huge. It, it's wild. If, if Vegas had come in a year early, year earlier, sorry, then Wenberg, Corpusalo, and Anderson all would have been exempt. And so all of that that they did with Vegas would have been unnecessary. It's pretty wild, but it came in a year later. All of those guys at that point required uh, protection. Now, if Seattle, if you remember, there was talk that they could have come in earlier, could have been in last year, which thank God for them, they did with COVID. But if that were the case, they would still be facing the same situation, but with Savard, Felino, and even Dubinsky, which is crazy. So it's a year later, all of those guys are out. Their protected situation is really, really good, but they need another forward yet who meets the requirements for a player that can be exposed to Seattle. So don't tell his agent this, but Kevin Stenlin needs to resign and do so before the expansion draft, and then they can expose him and they're in good shape. Who's, who do you think is the prime candidate to be plucked by Seattle? Kiv Lennox wasn't really on the radar probably until he, he was really good at the world championships. Yeah. And I think he, he had a great AHL season this year too. I think he's come a long way. It's not a guy that five months ago I would have guessed, but I think you have to consider a possibility now. Um, the one guy, the one thing I'm looking out for here in the next month before, because I think tomorrow is, one month from when the protected lists have to be submitted. And this organization keeps dropping hints of how impressed they are with Eric Robinson. And so for months we've looked and said, okay, Robinson's going to be available. Kukin's going to be available. Kivleniak's is going to be available. 
you can live with any of those guys. I'm not sure they feel like they can live with, with Robinson. <coughs> Excuse me. So I don't think it's out of the question that a player like Gustav Nyquist with a big salary and coming off shoulder surgery is exposed as a, you know, are you really going to take this four and a half million dollar player coming off shoulder surgery? I think they could get funky with their protected list. The other thing we should all be prepared for is if a Seth Jones trade happens before, and I don't suspect it does, but if this happens before the expansion list goes, goes in, everything gets potentially blown sky high. And who knows what, what the pieces will look like on the other side of that. Um, so if they ended up getting a defenseman or two back, I don't think it's out of the question that they could go at the, with the four, four, one, or the eight, one model rather than the seven, three, one. But as, as of now, I think you're looking at, I think the safe play right now is that Robinson, Kukan, or Kivleniak will be available. But I think there's a little uneasiness about Robinson. Uh, going back to the Patrick Line uh, storyline. So he scores 44 goals as a 19 year old in Winnipeg. Yep. And then 10 in 45 games with the Blue Jackets. Is it a question of can Brad Larson coax more out of him, or is it a question of whether they can find somebody to get him the puck? Well, I think there's a third option, if I can be honest with you. And I think it's the most important option. I think it's online himself. I really do. Like, like I, I don't want to bury the guy by any stretch. And, and there's no question that this team last year, as of right now, is, is incredibly deficient at center. They don't have anybody that can elevate his game. But I don't, I don't think if you watch this team play last year, I don't think you witnessed Patrick Line emptying the tank every night. And, 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 and being this close to being a difference-making player, only a sentiment away or whatever. He just wasn't present enough for me in probably 25 of the games that he played. I just don't think he was there enough. Um, it's pretty clear that John Tortorella and Yarmo Kekalainen they see a six foot five forward and they say, can, can we get a little bit of the six foot five out of you? Like <laughs> you're a big kid. I know you like to stand up by the dot and just blast one timers. We don't have that guy on the roster. This is them talking. Can we get a little bit more out of you in terms of the physical play? And that just isn't lining. And I, I think, you know, you could spend the next two years trying to push and motivate him before he becomes a UFA and trying to find someone to play with him as a centerman. But that's a special player, that, that centerman to play with him. I think, and a lot of people have said this, if the deal is right this summer, I think he's gone. I think he gets moved. And I don't know if that's a first-round pick coming back. I don't know if it's prospects and picks. But I, 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 I don't think it's... I think a new coach, a new system could help. I think a new voice on the bench absolutely could help him and some other players. But uh, 
again, I, I think, I don't think this is unfair. I think it's just honest. I think a big part of the onus on Patrick Liney getting better is, is on Patrick Liney, not on the people around him or the coach. So you mentioned about, you know, maybe a first round pick or what have you. <clears throat> Entry drafts coming up. Uh, yep. Three first round picks, uh, number five, number 24 from Toronto, and uh, was it number 29 or 32 from Tampa Bay? Depends on where it goes here, yeah. Right. Um, where do you like who do you see them going after? I mean, there's after Owen Power, there's eight guys in the next tier that you just pick the best available, or do they have someone that they need uh, today? Well, as currently comprised, if Jones and Wierenski and Gavrikov are part of your future, you say, well, you got to have a center. And that's, that's the crying, desperate need of this roster. And so a guy that may or may not be there, Matt Beneers, a kid from Michigan, I think Beneers is, is a perfect fit for them. But with Jones departing, I don't know how you can rule out them taking a defenseman either. Uh, the Hughes kid is there. Forgive me, the, the kid from Sweden who's 6'5", probably the second best defenseman could be there for them. And One thing to watch for, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep a list about this. So the Blue Jackets are picking five. I'm going to write down how many names are, are said to no chance they're going to be there for the Blue Jackets. And I bet it's eight, which is hilarious. Everybody thinks they know this draft. This is a weird draft. Um, Beneers is, is likely a Seattle pick. This kid, I love this kid. I don't know how truly offensively special he is, but you watch that kid play, you watch the energy with which he plays and the way that he is, he, his makeup. And that's a kid that's going to play in the NHL for 14, 15 years. He is a, he is a, a, a just a fabulous player. And I'm not sure if he's a second line center or a first first line guy, but that's a guy that I want part of my organization. Having said that, there's 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 I think there are five or six really good players, and they're going to get one of them. I think it's a, I I think this draft. People keep saying we don't know a lot about it, and it's not very good. Well, you can't you can't have both of those be true. Like, if we don't know a lot about it, how can we say it's not very good? I think there's a lot of mystery to this draft because so few of these guys have been seen as they are in a normal year. Uh, but I, I don't think we can judge this draft till, till a couple years down the road. Okay, so I want to get your opinion on the current NHL playoffs, if we can. And uh, one of the things that's been a hot topic lately has been the uh, salary cap uh, I don't want to call them shenanigans, but it's written here to call them shenanigans by Tampa yep. Bay. Do you believe that the there will be pressure to, uh, on the NHL to reevaluate the, the rules and how the cap is or is not enforced in the playoffs? Um, the problem with that, so there's a couple problems. The, the, literally the moment the CBA is finished, when the NHL and the, and the players ratify a CBA, the, there are lawyers, agents who grab it and say, all right, let's go find the holes in this, boys. Yeah. That's just the way it works. And the problem with fixing that is the people, the teams that want the fix are the small market teams who see the benefits of the people at the top breaking the rules or bending the rules or to use your word, uh, committing shenanigans. Uh, look, Kucherov was injured. He was hurt. 
uh, he was. I, I believe he had surgery to repair an injury. No one's faking that. Right. But the one thing I, I, I would hope by now we've learned, and, and I'll be interested to see if it's different this this offseason too, because you're hearing it more now than ever with the flat cap, is these teams at the top with these great players, they are never going to give you a great player, dear, kind-hearted, small market GM, out of the kindness of their heart. That is not going to happen. Right. It just doesn't happen. And everyone went in, if you remember last summer, licking their chops. What is Tampa going to do? They got to do something. Maybe they'll trade Braden Point to the Blue Jackets. And, you know, the Lightning are like, no, we're not. We'll give you Tyler Johnson. Does anybody want Tyler Johnson? By the way, I'd love to have Tyler Johnson. I love Tyler Johnson. But that we, I think we should know by now that the, the top wrong guys, they're not moving to give salary cap relief. They're going to find other ways to do this. How much? And it may be different this year with the flat cap, but I'll I'll reserve judgment till I see it. How much was COVID related? Seeing as the American League guys, a lot of a lot of guys that may have been in the National Hockey League at some point this year were, were left in the American League. Um, yeah. Guys were left based on percentage of salary, and then you were able to put guys off and on the taxi squad to find salary cap relief as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. So in that sense, this year was a one-off. Yeah. I think there's probably a lot of GMs that would like to have that flexibility in a normal year. Not going to happen. Right. Um, you know, I thought there were some, I thought there were some disservices created too. I, I will never understand what this team did to Andrew Peak this year. I just don't understand it. I won't understand it. It makes no sense to me that a kid that you're banking on to be such a vibrant, vital part of this organization. Did he play 16 games this year? On both levels, I mean, it, almost criminal, and and the fact that that they were out of it for the last month of the season, and still didn't give this kid the run, even after the Savard trade, they didn't set him loose in the top four and say, "Live, learn, screw up, grow." Like this is what it is. You're going to be a regular next year. I mean, you have COVID doesn't help but you have severely cost that kid a development year, which is a cardinal sin for a team in this situation. Yeah, he's a good one too. Edmonton did the same thing with Bouchard, but I think that was more of a border crossing issue. Yeah, yeah. The Canadian teams that are really tough. If they sent him down, they couldn't get oh, him back across yeah, the border. Yeah. When he came back over, he had to sit for two weeks, yeah. So with the success that Montreal and the New York Islanders are having, does that provide any sort of positive reinforcement or how the Blue Jackets uh, will be rebuilt. Yeah. Rebuilt. yeah. I mean, I think it tells you, it, we were just talking about this the other night, the Blue Jackets finally commit to rebuilding. Now we'll see where it goes, but they finally commit to rebuilding. And now here come the Islanders to show you really don't need these star players to do this. Now they're a special case. I mean, that is a, that's a team that's been built over a number of years in their own way. That is a deep, heavy, super competitive team. And I think they benefit from the fact that a lot of teams just don't play like that anymore right now. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny, but you look, just look back through the last bunch of Stanley cup winners. They're really there. There's a couple teams that don't have number one overall picks in there. 
but even even they have just superlative players from bottoming out and and picking in the top five. I mean, it's really the path to glory. The one thing about this Blue Jackets organization (coughs) that they've got to fix, they have to find out what it is. And they're all leaving for different reasons. But they've got to fix that problem about why guys want to leave here before they start building this thing back up again. Otherwise, you're just spinning wheels. And I don't pretend to know what it is. I don't think it's one answer. But they have got to change the reputation around this team. And these new guys, these new top talent type guys, they're going to get the a guy in the top five this year. They have to start treating them in a way or creating a situation with this organization where they want to stay here and build this up. That is imperative. And, and this is the time to do it. When, when everything else is taken down, figure it out, build it the right way. Yeah. Cause there are people, um, you know, Nick Foligno, John Davidson, Jody Shelley, there are people that really enjoy in Columbus. So 100%. you're right. What, why is it that some guys don't? Yeah. Well, and I'll let, I'll let you in on this too, because I think it's, can I cuss on this show? Absolutely. If you want to. Okay, sure. good. I think it's bullshit, frankly, that it's, it's, it's often billed as this is a Columbus problem. And I, I look at it this way. I, I covered, I've covered this team for more than, than uh, 20 years now. Nobody has, nobody has ever left here saying, I just can't stand the city. I don't like living there. No one has said that. Not one person has ever said that. Now, we all bitch about how great the winners are you know, whatever, every place has its drawbacks, but that's not why people are leaving. It's like, if if someone says to me, Porty, you're a fat, lazy slob. And I say, don't talk about my wife that way. They're not talking about my wife. They're talking about me. (laughs) And and I keep, I keep hearing when the blue jackets are asked, why do you, why are, why are you losing so many players? And they say, listen, Columbus is a great city. That's not what the question is. They're leaving the organization. They're not leaving the city. And it's, it, it's been too easy. Like Columbus, I know Columbus does not have the international cachet of Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Miami. I get it. I've lived here my whole life. But you mentioned that guys who come here and play mostly love it here. Many of them stay here. It is not, is it appreciably different than 12, 16 other cities in this league? No, no, it's not. I mean, I, I could rattle off a bunch of cities. There, if, if you are a young, good-looking dude who makes five million bucks a year, everywhere is a nice place to live. <laughs> and, and that is not Columbus's problem. That's not Columbus's problem. It's something the organization has to fix. It's not the city. Now, does it affect them with free agents? Again, do people want to go to Columbus as much as they want to come to LA? Does it have that sort of international cachet? But in terms of keeping people, it is not the city. And I'll, I'll fight somebody over that if I have to. <laughs> Spoken like a true native. Um, one, more, one more question for you, then we'll let you go. Uh, I wanted to ask you this when we were talking about Seth Jones. 
two-part question. One is it, is it any is there any possibility that he's posturing in the media to get more money? And then it, that does happen sometimes. I don't know if it's happening in this case, but if, do you have you as a writer had any experience with one side or the other feeding you information and you know that they're doing it to try to influence public perception of a contract negotiation? Um, I have, not in this case, but I have. Um, listen, I, I think, and I think the organization realizes this too. I think Seth Jones, he didn't give them the answer that they wanted, but I think he's done them a huge favor. He's done them a huge favor by not drawing this out and by handling it as, as professionally as, as you can. Um, he is not doing anything wrong. And I know you're not saying he is, he's not doing anything wrong by leaving as a free agent. That's what it means. And to let them know well ahead of his final year, I think he likes this place. I think he likes the people who work here. I think he wants to, to, to make everybody happy. I think he's that kind of guy. He likes the city. He, I, he does. And I think, I think the most important, well, I think the most important thing to him is that he sets himself up for the rest of his career in a place where he can win and be well compensated and be happy, of course. But I think really close to that and level of importance is that this is done in a dignified and classy way that it not become a gong show. A he said, she said, I think that's important to him. Um, and I think he's, I think considerable energy has been um, put forth on trying to figure out a way to do this in the way that's, that's the least toxic. And, you know, it's a hard thing to break up with anybody. How do you do it kindly so that in years later, you still feel good about it. And so does the person you did it with. I think that, I think that's, I think that's something that's really important to him. And the, the instance where uh, information was being fed to you to try to influence public opinion of a negotiation, has the statute of limitations run out on that yet? Can you share any details um, of that with us? Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, it was on the record and we printed it. I think in, I can't remember a year it would have been, but Rick Nash, um, 4th of July, he could have been extended on July 1st. And I, it got to like the second or the third. It must have been the, it was the third. Um, because because he called late that night and was kind of pissed off at the offer from the Blue Jackets. And I'm not telling you anything I shouldn't. The quotes ran in the paper at the time. But it was a lot, it was not, it was not the type of verbiage that Rick Nash used um, on the record then. It was, listen, if we're not going to get something done, then we're not going to get something done. But like, stop goofing around here. Let's get a deal done or, or, or we'll see where it goes and it won't be pretty or something like that. I was like, holy shit, is this like, is this really Nash? This is Nash, okay. Um, and then the next day, you know, a deal got done. Um, so that was pretty effective. Uh, so you ran the, the story the next day? Yeah, I was working for the dispatch. And then yeah, printed it that night. I mean, it was one of those quick turnarounds, like, you know, you hang up from the player, you call the office, you say, you know, hold me a spot. I've got a, I've got a blue jacket story. You're going to want, this is Nash going on the record saying to team, you know, 
he doesn't like the offer that the team gave him and he's threatening to walk. And I'm like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll get you, give us 500 words or whatever. And they turn it around in 25 minutes. So it makes the paper that, that day uh, or the next day. And then that next day they got a deal done. Uh, now I don't think it was, I'm not saying it was because of the, the paper printed his comments, but I think that sort of public Rick Nash, uh, Rick Nash is pissed. That tends to get the front office's attention. And it got the deal. It got the deal done. Gotcha. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us tonight and uh, talking a, a little Blue Jackets hockey with us. Um, as we enter into a busy summer, um, yeah. we continue to look forward and enjoy reading uh, your columns. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. And I, I'm, I'm sure we will be talking to you soon uh, after this summer gets over and the new season starts. Well, I look forward to it, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. There is no better way to let the Ohio hockey community know about your program, product, or service than advertising on the Ohio Hockey Digest and the On Air Podcast. Contact Scott Harrington at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to find out how we can help you get the word out. Well, guys, another interesting talk with Aaron Portsline from The Athletic and just his, his knowledge of that team uh, is out of control. Uh, and, and for him to uh, bring that to our podcast is we really appreciate that. You know, there are a couple of things that I, I found kind of important and, and, or interesting, I should say. Uh, one of the ones, one of the, probably the, the hot topic right now is, is the talk of the new head coach, you know, um, not bashing him, but also understanding that, that it wasn't the public's uh, choice. So how does a guy like that go into a situation to where you're not wanted uh, and trying to make the best of the situation uh, in a town that doesn't want to rebuild. They want to reload and win. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, it's kind of being unfair to him, but um, no, it they is. interviewed, what do we say? Dragalant, Rick Tockett and David Quinn. David Quinn. So if you're going for it, you're hiring one of those guys, I think. Um, plus you're, you're saving yourself probably 3 million a year. <laughs> I don't know what they're, Brad Larson, but um, who knows? I mean, everybody's going to have their first shot at being a head coach. Maybe he's going right. to be able to do better than people think. Right. You know, there's a guy in Detroit by the name of Jeff Blaschel who uh, kind of ran the same, a very similar line. And, you know, maybe, maybe in the conversations with Gerard Gallant and, and Rick Tockett and, and David Quinn that Columbus made it known to them what their plans were, and they said no. Brad Larson, here's your chance to be a head coach in the National Hockey League. Yes or no? You already know what we're going through. You already know all the pieces that are in place. Yes or no? And, you know, hey, get your foot in the door. You, you've already grown with these guys because the assistants do, you know, different specialties with these guys and, and a lot of extra ice time with these guys. And so uh, he's a good fit from a teaching standpoint, but that's not what sells papers and that's not sexy. We want to win. We want to win now. What happens if they if next year is a complete disaster like it was this year? Should, Which you probably it will should be. be. Right. It should be. I mean, they they have I mean, Yorkstrand had a good year. Merz Lincoln's had a good year. You know, there there are guys that, that can play you know, and 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 I don't think Max Domi hit his stride that uh, to his potential that he could be in Columbus. Yeah, there's more there. Line A could score start scoring. Right. Right. Um 
Yeah, there's a lot. They're going to have three first-round picks this year. Probably have another high first-round pick next year. Um, so it's a slow process. It's not yeah. what people want to hear. No, no. We're going to have some good. They got the the. Remember the kid they took last year and nobody knew who he was. Yeah. So he's coming over. He okay. might play in Cleveland for a little bit to start, which would be kind of cool. Okay. Like, yeah. Trying to cough. Yeah. He wasn't even on anyone's radar. No. <laughs> no, it's like they, they got him out of like some horse, like some horse uh, program. <laughs> I, remember the, I remember years ago, the Cavs got a guy that was, they said, well, where'd you find this guy? Well, he's playing the YMCA league. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're crazy. Well, we, we thank Aaron for coming and joining us again. It was a, it was a great talk and, and always uh, uh, nice to have him on and, and just hear his knowledge again, like I said, of the organization that he's been covering for over th- or 20 years. Uh, next week, we will have a return visitor, one of the three finalists for the NHL Rookie of the Year, Parma's own Alec Nadelkovic. You're not going to want to miss that one. We continue to grow the game as best as we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Diving Podcast. I cannot take this Everything I said before All these words they made